Welcome into the Clap Trap. Brought to you by Ultrasound Productions. Now also playing on 90.7 WKKL. Just a layup. It was just a layup. That's all it was. All right, Jason. It was just a layup. That's <laughs> no big deal. Just winning game one. Huge, amazing victory for the Celtics. Welcome in. Another episode of the Claptrap. We got the Wednesday episode today. It is going to be an abbreviated episode uh, because I will be broadcasting, doing the play-by-play for the Barnstable High School. The Barnstable Red Hawks will be playing this afternoon starting at 1 p.m. Uh, and so I will be on that broadcast. If you are available, it is up on YouTube. And so go ahead and follow along with the Barnstable B2B YouTube channel to be able to hear that entire broadcast. But back to the Celtics. The major talk of the town right now is with the green team after a gigantic game one win that they just barely pulled off at the end. They tried their hardest to blow it. Or I guess Kyrie Irving tried his hardest to get them back in the game. Great fourth quarter by Kyrie Irving. Unfortunately, obviously, tempers were flaring throughout the entire game. Kyrie Irving is flipping off people left and right. The crowd is chanting. And now he owes the league $50,000. Congratulations, Kyrie Irving. Good job with those double middle fingers behind your head, you jerk. Now you have to deal with all of that. But great game by the team. Great game by the Celtics, or at least the great first three quarters by the Celtics. They stayed right in it with the with the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, they were able to handle the, the Nets and and cause fits for, uh, for Kevin Durant. Throughout the entire game, basically, he was 9 of 24 shooting. He was 1 of 5 from three-point range. He certainly did not have his A game, and the Nets were still in it. So that's something that I am a little bit worried about. Not going to lie about that. It's game one. Celtics took care of business. Uh, It could have been a whole different outlook to the series if they had lost this game. Now, if you had heard last, last episode, we gave the predictions Matt and I did, and Matt and I will be at the game tonight. And we will be giving some post-game live reactions for that for Friday's episode. But going into it, I mean, you got to feel extremely confident as a Celtics fan right now, right? Certainly all the green teamers are. Uh, I would assume that most of them picked the Celtics to win in some fashion. I know that Matt said that they were going to win in five. I've heard a lot of Celtics in six, Celtics in seven talk as well. My personal prediction, my gut prediction was Nets in six. But I got to tell you, it's it doesn't sound too great right now, uh, the way that that happened. I was assuming that the, the Nets were going to come out, give you a good run for your money in the first game, maybe be able to steal game one. They almost did, but the Celtics were able to battle back. They outscored, the Nets outscored the Celtics 29-19 to in the fourth quarter, largely on Kyrie Irving's back, who was just going absolutely bananas. Guy ends up with 39 points in the game on 12 of 20, shooting 6 of 10 from three-point range. I mean, he was... He was out of control at points in this game. Kyrie Irving was. He also added in four steals uh, to that game, five rebounds, six assists. So he was a, a monster all over the place, and and you know that's kind of what you want to see. I, I think honestly, we all hate Kyrie Irving now. I've flipped alliances with that whole situation ever since the logo stomping thing. You can call me childish for it, but that really 
you know, was the the breaking point for me personally. We all hate Kyrie Irving, but we all also, you should be able to admit that it is good for this rivalry. It's good for, uh, you know, the, the sport in general to be able to see this kind of battle of the Titans between the Celtics and Nets right now, and Kyrie Irving is right at the forefront of that. He was instrumental in this game for the Nets and them being able to be involved in this one, but... At the end of the day, he wasn't able to do it. He wasn't able to finish strong. He is out there at that in that pivotal moment, letting Jason Tatum spin by him for the layup and the win. Just a layup, by the way, Jason Tatum says. Just, just a layup. No big deal. But great win by this team. I can't say it enough times. You have the Celtics now up 1-0 going into Game 2, which is tonight. There's been some... You know, it's it. We had talked about this in the last episode as well. It's a little bit frustrating that you have to wait so many days before the next game of the series, but that's all right. We're finally here. We're finally in this moment. It's going to be even more frustrating when the next game isn't until Saturday. Uh, you know, so we'll see how that goes. But I don't know. I fully expect the Nets to come back and and punch back once again in Game Two. I, I expect Kyrie or. Kevin Durant to have another uh, or to have a good game in this one and be able to figure things out. His shot just wasn't working, but he was getting his shots because he can create one at any given moment in any game because he's a six foot eleven giant of a human being that can just go up up over everybody. So you know you see that at all times. I'm expecting that to happen. I'm expecting to see more from you know the 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 green team all around. I mean I th- I don't think that I'm expecting much out of. Marcus Smart and Al Horford, if we're being honest, I think that they kind of went all out in that first game. I mean, you had Al Horford with the 20 and 15 rebounds. Marcus Smart had 20.7 rebounds and six assists. He was playing lights out. I mean, Marcus Smart was probably the real catalyst for the Celtics team winning the game. Obviously, Jason Tatum was the man. But if you don't have Marcus Smart doing the things that Marcus Smart does in this one, uh, including, by the way, great job, Marcus Smart, passing up that ball for the game-winning shot. I'm sure everyone and their mother was thinking that Marcus was going to pull up from three in that moment. The the Nets certainly did. They went flying by. I think two players went flying by Marcus Smart in that moment. He pulls it down. He passes to Jason Tatum, who does the spin move. You had so much passing on that last possession, and you had the the, the wherewithal, the, the mindset of Ime Odoka to just not call that timeout with such little time remaining on the clock. You wanted to maybe stop it and create a play, but that also gives the Nets a break and them the ability to sub in the correct people. So great job by Ime not calling a timeout. They were able to move the ball down the floor. They moved it to all five players on the court, and then it ends up in Jason Tatum's hand for a spinning layup to win the game. What a moment. What a moment. I love it. I'm very happy about that. As I said before, regardless of what my prediction for the series was, I'm still obviously rooting for this Celtics squad to do as best as they can and try and win this series. It's going to be a tough road regardless. And I want to talk about some other Celtics topics, including Marcus Smart winning Defensive Player of the Year when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. Marcus Smart is your NBA Defensive Player of the Year. It's crazy to think, uh, to me at least, I guess not to some of the green teamers, that that Marcus Smart is being the choice. I mean, I personally, if Rob Williams 
was healthier throughout, I probably would have given it to Rob Williams. This is the first time, though, that a guard has won it since Gary Payton did it, I believe, back in 1996. You had Gary Payton showing up to Celtics practice to congratulate Marcus Smart on his Defensive Player of the Year award, and what an award to win for a player who that is kind of how he's defined, right? That's how we talk about Marcus Smart, the things that he does, not on the offensive side of the ball, but being able to D up multiple positions, players much bigger than he is, just being strong enough to be able to handle them and handle them with a, a, a an ability that you don't really see a lot in the game nowadays. Defense has become a harder thing to find at that level, especially from a guard standpoint, the game is all about three-pointers, and so it gets much more difficult to defend those players out on the three-point line the way that things are going. But Marcus Smart wins it. He's able to win over Mikhail Bridges of the Suns and Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz. Rudy Gobert, uh, the, 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 the man who normally wins this award pretty much all the time at this point in his career, and you were able to do it as a guard. I, I'm impressed uh, that they were actually able to do this. I don't know if necessarily he's deserving of this award. I love it. I love the fact that he got it. I will say that it's just going to go straight to his head and his ego is going to be even that much more now that he has won this award. But hopefully that just means that you can go out there and show your defensive prowess and not think about shooting the ball. And that's, you know, he didn't shoot the ball in that big moment for the Celtics game winner, all that stuff. He passed instead of shooting. So I was happy about that. Focus on that side of the game and being the best defensive player that you can. But I'm not the only one out there who is saying that it's questionable that Marcus Smart won this award. Now, obviously, like I said, my personal opinion on players from the Celtics I would have given it to Rob Williams. What Rob Williams was able to do throughout this entire season, I, I think he was one of the major pieces, obviously, to the turnaround for the season for the Celtics because of his defense. It's a lot easier. This is a top-tier defensive team, if not the best team in the league at defense. It's a lot easier to score points when you have defensive rebounds, blocked shots, great defense overall. You're going to be able to get out on the break, and that's one of the things that the Celtics do, just like everybody else, does really well. So, great job, uh, once again, by Marcus Smart. Not trying to take anything away from it. I guess I am a little bit in, in, in some senses, but I don't know. When you look at the stats from a stat perspective, Marcus Smart kind of goes down the list a few, a few ranking points there. Uh, you have other guys out there like Bam Adebayo, who he was complaining about the fact that he didn't get it. It was disrespect that his name wasn't even involved in there. But I agree. He should have been up a little bit higher on the list. You had Mikhail Bridges, who played in 82 games, all 82 games, and had a higher defensive rating than Marcus Smart, who only played in 71 of those games. It, you know, when you start to throw out stats like that, it's, it, became, it becomes tough to see Marcus Smart in that winning position at least from my perspective. Now, obviously, when you think of the Celtics and you think of the defensive side, it starts with Marcus Smart. Everyone knows it starts with Marcus Smart. As much as I want to say it's Rob Williams, everyone knows that the Celtics' defense starts with Marcus Smart. It's not any, uh, you know, guess for anybody who looks at the team. We know that he's the guy. So from the standpoint of you had a team that turned uh, turned it all around, turned their entire season around, went on this crazy streak, started became the number one team in the league, efficiency-wise, defensive-wise, and who is your leader at the defensive side of things? It's Marcus Smart. So from that standpoint, once again, yes, of course, 
he should be getting this award if you think of it strictly from that side of things. But once you go into the stat side of things, unfortunately for Marcus, it's just not, it doesn't make the best case for him. It, it just really doesn't. Now, uh, I mean, we have some other things, other awards, finalists, and things like that that are a little bit questionable as well around the league. And we're going to see who is going to end up winning things like the MVP, the rookie of the year, six man, uh, most improved player, that kind of stuff. It was also surprising that the the coach of the year, there's no Ime Odoka on that list, but I guess, you, you know, uh, you know, Teams like Eric Spolstra's Miami Heat are really good. Taylor Jenkins' uh, Memphis Grizzlies are really good. Monty Williams with the Suns. Obviously, those teams all have great records, especially the, the Memphis Grizzlies really turning things around, getting to the second seed, the Miami Heat getting to the one seed. So unfortunately, you know, Ime is just on the outside of that list, and that, that stinks there, but... Hey, maybe in the future we'll be able to get something for him. Uh, but you have other teams or other players coming around. It's interesting to see that the most improved player, one of the players on that list is John Morant. I know everyone was freaking out about him should should be a, an MVP candidate, but I mean we all we all understand that he is what he is. Great job this season. He's turned it. He's turned his season into. Uh, making him a, a star caliber player and all of that kind of stuff. But is he worthy of an MVP right now? No, not in my opinion. I didn't think so throughout the season. Flash in the pan kind of thing. Try and keep it going. He's Derrick Rose 2.0. We'll see how he does. But you're most likely going to win the MIP award, the most improved player, John Morant. So all the John Morant stands out there listening, he was not worthy of an MVP. But the other thing that I wanted to really talk about quickly to just kind of wrap up the whole NBA topic uh, right now, is the report of one of the players that I now have on my hater list. Zion Williamson is supposedly reportedly trying to come back for Game 3 as the New Orleans Pelicans play against the Phoenix Suns. Now, I get it. He's been supposedly trying to come back as much as possible at you know other times in the, in the, uh, in the season, right? Supposedly. But I just find it so funny that at this point in the year, after the New Orleans Pelicans just finally somehow pulled out a win against the Suns last night in that series, or the second game of that series, now all of a sudden Zion Williamson wants to get his butt up off the couch and finally get back into this series. Oh, we got a chance to actually move on in the playoffs? Yeah, I'll come in and try and steal some of the spotlight. That's how I feel about this guy. Uh, you know, he's been pissing me off throughout the entire year. The fact that people still say that he's a top-tier player when he's really not at all. So just trying to get a little NBA hate out there. We got some other crazy series going on around the league, and we're going to see how the NBA series go through, throughout this playoffs. I think you got a lot of interesting moments right now. You got the Heat taking care of business against the Hawks. I thought it was funny that the, the Timberwolves beat the Grizzlies in game one for all the people out there that are talking about the Grizzlies as a big thing. They came back last night and whooped up on them. Like I said, the Pelicans beat the Suns. It's a little crazy so far right now in the NBA playoffs, but all I Eyes on the Nets and the Celtics and what's going to happen in game two. I can't wait to talk about it more on Friday. All right, let's move on now. We're going to talk about the Bruins when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. Here is DeBrusque. Leads it for Coyle. Coyle. Behind the net. Takes the body from Tarasenko. DeBrusque flips it. The high slot shot. Score! Time for the Bruins. 
nice win for the boys last night over the Blues, a team that had given them fits even recently as last week. I was impressed by their fight, their tenacity, even without having Pasternak still. You still don't have Lindholm. This team is still battling right now, and I'm very happy about it. I, I mean, I don't see how you could be upset with anything that's going on right now. Personally, I believe that this team is still getting ready for the playoffs, and they're doing the best they can with what they have. Obviously, you don't have Lindholm, like I said. You don't have Pasternak. Uh, Olmark's dealing with what I'm assuming is a concussion. Uh, Jasper Froden went down, and they're all expected back within the next week or so. But it is now crunch time. We've got to figure out what this team is going to be going into the playoffs, where they will land, who they will face off against. And it's crazy to think that there's even more outcomes now that the Rangers have caught up to the Hurricanes and the Lightning are only one point above of the, of the Bruins right now. It is going to be down to the wire, trying to figure out who this team is going to play in the first round and hopefully aver avoiding those Hurricanes. It, now there's a lot of chances for that. I was, I was just, if you heard me in the last episode or last couple of episodes, whenever I've talked about the Bruins, I've just kind of gotten to the point where I'm ready to just be the number one wild card spot and, and face off against the Hurricanes. I've, I've, I've come to that conclusion that that was just going to happen well now now things are changing all all over the place left and right like i said the rangers have now caught up with the hurricanes and could possibly jump into first place in that division which would change everything it would change everything for the bruins because now there's a good likelihood if the rangers can overtake the hurricanes that the bruins wouldn't have to play the hurricanes until at very minimum the second round if not completely avoid them altogether you also have them one point behind the lightning now because the lightning somehow blew a game to the red wings last night so i i mean this this game overall was good for the team but it's good it's better from the standpoint of where they can actually get to in this in this finals or in this uh, in this playoffs I should say because it is going to matter a lot who they end up facing when they start their whole playoff run. To, to me, it's going to matter a lot. I'm sure to a lot of people, it's going to matter a lot. But you had some great moments in this game here, including the Taylor Hall great tip-in goal late in the game and uh, or, or later on to be able to get the second goal of the game. And then you go into overtime, and like you heard in that little clip to intro it, you had Charlie Coyle not shooting, trying to dump it down low. You have DeBrusque fighting for the puck regaining control of the puck, coming from behind the net. Nice little saucer pass out to the slot for Charlie McAvoy, who just buries it top corner. Great job by them. And it's a lot easier, obviously, I know when it's a three-on-three -three situation, but great job by maintaining control of the puck throughout that overtime period, as short as it was. You got the puck to start it off with a nice Charlie Coyle face-off win. You kept the puck the entire time. You moved it around. You were able to get the, the game-winning goal as you should. You also had DeBrusque early in the game with his his goal. Another goal for DeBrusque means that he is continuing his crazy pace. I think he has, what, like 23 goals and, and 15 assists. I believe it's somewhere around those numbers right now in the 70-something games that he's played. Great job by DeBrusque. Love it. Still want to trade him. Just saying. Want him to play as great as possible. Had that nice little, tried to wrap around, bury it. The goalie lost sight of the puck, then you put it up over his shoulder. Great job by DeBrusque. He's been playing great. You can't say anything really negative about him other than the fact that he still wants to be traded from this team. But that's fine. 
If we can get something for Jake DeBrusque at this point, I'm going to be okay with it. It's going to stink if you see him go off and actually turn into the player we all know he can be, but he's a little fragile mentally, so I'm ready to be done with him. I think I've been ready to be been done with him. A lot of the uh, a lot of the Bruins fans have been. We just understand what he's going to be, how easily he could go back to not playing well. And I'd rather, if we are going to have Bergeron and Marchand come back next year, more Bergeron than Marchand, obviously, if you could have that line again, try and go out and get another player that can pay, pair with them because you can pretty much put anyone in that spot. I've said it once again. They're proving it again this year. Put anyone in that spot. Uh, it can be, you know, it can be DeBrusque. It, it could be anybody. You could probably put Frederick in there and he would be a 20-goal scorer just because that's the way that that line works. So, I don't know. Uh, the, the, the major concerns, obviously, are the injuries. I was very down on that last week. I'm still pretty down on it, if I'm being honest. It seems as though all the reports are saying, though, that Lindholm and Pasternak will be ready to go for the playoffs. That doesn't mean that we're going to be you know, out of the woods for what we have to do the remainder of the season to get to the right spot, but you just won a big game against the Blues, snapping their nine-game winning streak. You had already won against the, the Penguins over the weekend, and now you play the Penguins again, Rangers, before you get an easy game against the Canadians. But the majority of these games that they have remaining are against playoff teams. Four out of the six Six games, you play Penguins, Rangers, Panthers, and Maple Leafs. You still get the Canadians and the Sabres, which will be nice to break up the monotony or the, the intensity of playing those playoff teams, but still. You have a tough road for the remainder of the year. I'm hoping that by the Rangers game on Saturday, you'll get Pasternak and Lindholm back so they can start ramping back up for the playoffs. Give them a couple of games to get going because they're not going to just come off the, the, the IR spot and be ready to go. That's just not usually how it works out, especially for a goal scorer like Pasternak. He's going to need to be able to get out there, get a few shots up, and see what he can do. So I'm excited. It was a good win by the team. Like I said, once again, happy that they they were able to fight, especially on the road against a good Blues team, a good Blues squad who, you know, plays physical with you. Tarasenko scored once again. That guy has just a, been a Bruins killer over this last week or so. And so you, you were able to bounce back. Swayman played good enough to get the win. I'm not going to say that he played good enough to win the job going into the playoffs. That's still a major question. Who's going to be starting most of the games? I don't know. But hopefully, Swayman is going to be able to turn it around enough to be able to 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 get that that uh, starting position throughout. I don't know if it's going to happen, though. And I'd be fine, I think, with Omar getting getting a little bit of run as well. And we'll go with whoever the hot goaltender is at the time. Because Omar has certainly proved it, in my opinion. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how things go. I, I'm I'm excited that we'll have more playoff hockey to be able to watch this uh, th in this coming uh, postseason. Very happy about that. So I'll talk more about that as games continue. We'll probably talk about the Penguins game on Friday after that game happens. But for now, let's switch it up. We're going to talk about the Red Sox to finish off the show. So keep it right here on 90.7 WKKL. We'll be back after this. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. All right, we're wrapping up the show with a little bit of baseball to finish it off. Got to check in on the Red Sox, see how they are doing to start off the season. They just had a nice win against the Toronto Blue Jays, a team that has some extremely heavy bats, including Vladimir Guerrero Jr., which we're going to talk about. But uh, it, it is going to be an abbreviated show this week or this today. Uh, just the first hour of the show, because as I said before at the beginning, if you didn't hear, I'm going to be broadcasting, doing play-by-play -play for the Barnstable Red Hawks at 1 p.m. 
You can go and check out their YouTube channel. It is Barnstable B2B TV on YouTube. So just search them. You'll be able to see the game that is coming up uh, at 1 p.m. And we're going to possibly see if we could play it on WKKL as well, if possible. But we'll, we'll see how that goes. You know how technical difficulties can be. But the Red Sox, like I said... Nice win against the Toronto Blue Jays. They are now 6-5 and five on the season. They have had their ups and downs to start it all off. We've talked about it a little bit in the last couple of episodes, talking about the pitching staff and how they don't really have anyone to rely on. You had Nathan Avaldi pitching last night, and though he did give up the seven hits, he was getting kind of hit. He didn't give up runs, and that's what really matters at the end of the day. You can give up all the hits and walks that you want. Your whip will be terrible, but at least you didn't give up any runs, so... You, you know, you win a very close game, uh, a game that you had Whitlock get the save, Robles come in and get the win. So the bullpen was working strong enough against a, a, a Blue Jays team that, like I said, has some great bats on it, including the, the Bo Bichettes of the world and, and Vladdy Guerrero Jr. That team has a good lineup overall. I mean, you, you, you know, you, you, you also got George Springer on the squad. I forgot about him. Uh, Gurel is great. You have a, a good overall pitching staff, I think, for the the Blue Jays, so that team is going to be tough in the future, especially when you're talking about going to Toronto and having your some of your players like Tanner Hawk not be able to start his games because he's not vaccinated. So that makes that throws a whole nother wrinkle into everything how how tough it is in Canada to go and even play a game right now. But it was a good win, good win by the squad. But I gotta say, once again, what's going on with the the Red Sox bats? I would say. I feel like this year so far, yes, of course, you had that game against the Twins that they put up not eight runs. You had that game against the Tigers with nine runs in it. But otherwise, the bats have actually been surprisingly you know, low for me as, as far as I've, I've watched uh, throughout the entire time this season has been going on. You don't have a ton of players playing that great right now. Obviously, Rafi Devers, Xander Bogarts, and Alex Verdugo are your three mainstays, as they should be. But guys like Trevor Story have still not gotten going. You have Jackie Bradley, who has been up and down at best, as we know he can be. Bobby Dahlbeck has been trash. J.D. Martinez is not doing much right now. Uh, but he does got, you know, he's gotten some good hits. But not overall any good power, I would say. So, I don't know. I, I, I'm a little concerned about the slow start for the bats, but I'm happy with the pitching so far, which is surprising. I wouldn't have expected that to be the case when it comes to this Red Sox squad. Like I keep saying, like I keep complaining about, this team is built to mash baseballs, but not able to play good when it comes from a pitching standpoint. Their defense is a lot better than last year. I'll give them that. I mean, when you go to a point where you end up getting in Jackie Bradley in for Renfro and, and you start moving around the outfield a little bit, that's when you get better defensive play overall from at least that side of things. But I don't know. It, 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 we're going to see a lot of question marks going forward if this team can't get the pitching staff going. I, I can't say it enough. I complain about it all the time. I know it's my one main sticking point with this team. It has been for years, but... When you have a guy like Chris Sale who is now showing up as injury-prone at this point, you have to kind of say that right now, just based on the way that these these this season and last season have gone with his injuries, you don't have anybody else you can rely on. So is this team going to go out and actually get somebody at the trade deadline? I know that's a long way away. But is this team going to be able to do that when they need to? Tanner Houck has been good. Yes, he has. 
So that has been a bright side. Maybe he's your best pitcher so far for this team. I still rely on Nathan Avaldi to be good for this squad. But after that, who are we relying on? We're relying on the bullpen, I guess. Is that what we're doing? Because I don't really have much faith in the rest of this lineup, or I mean, in the less in the rest of this pitching staff. No, no faith in Michael Waka or the the old uh, body that is Rich Hill, uh, Nick Pavetta. None of these guys, to me, are going to be playing good going through this season. It's just going to be a tough, tough spot. You got Garrett Whitlock. You got um, you know Robles, who is good good overall. You got some relievers, I guess, but I don't know what has happened to Matt Barnes ever since he got his contract. What has happened to, you know, the guys like Nick Pavetta and all these other pitchers that I thought were going to be at least serviceable. They kind of stink right now. So I don't know. I know it's the only thing that I complain about. It's the only thing I talk about when we talk about the Red Sox. It's the pitching staff. It's the pitching staff, but it's a big, big problem. It really is. It's a big problem for this squad. I'm going to talk more about it on Friday when we reconvene for another episode. But that's going to do it for today's episode. I know, once again, a shortened episode today. I appreciate anyone for tuning in. I am going to be doing the broadcasting for Barnstable B2B Television for the Barnstable game that is going to be happening later on today. So if you are available to watch the game, I will be doing that. I would appreciate you guys tuning in for that one. Uh, We're going to try and play it on WKKL, whether we do it live or we do a replay of the game as well. We'll see what we can do with that. Hopefully we'll be able to get that going because I would love to be able to get you guys to hear the broadcast. Those kids are doing really great so far. I think they've had some crazy games so go back and look at some of the broadcasts you'll see what has gone on with those Barnstable Red Hawks so we'll see how that goes I appreciate you guys tuning in for the abbreviated episode we'll be back on Friday we'll have Matt back on the show to talk all about the Celtics game that he and I are going to tonight we'll have some instant reactions hopefully right after the game to get the instant feedback hopefully in a win Hopefully in a win. We'll see how it goes, though. All right, so keep it right here on 90.7 WKKL for more of the Capes Classic Alternative. I'll see you guys on Friday.